Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you now asking that you would work in our lives. We want to be a real spiritual people. We want to be those who are truly Christians. We want to be those who follow Jesus. And Father, that does not come from our own strength or from our own hearts. We need you. And so we ask that today, through the power of the Spirit and through the preaching of the Word of God, Lord, you would continue to make us your children, believers, because of our faith in Christ. God, we ask that you would make this happen through your Word today. In Christ's name, amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, as we will be continuing on through the book of Exodus, uh, back several months ago, we started at Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to walk all the way through it, and we are uh, not quite halfway, but we are trenching through the, through the good part. Last week was the, the tenth plague, you might remember that, and so we are finished with the plagues now, and God has brought His people to the Exodus. Now, you know that the name of this book is Exodus... And if you didn't know why, then you find out today. Exodus means to leave, a big departure, people uh, going out. And the reason why the book is named that is because uh, God's people are slaves in Egypt and they need to be set free. And so it is in the book of Exodus that God sets the people free and they, all of them leave, which is estimated about two million people, all of them leave Egypt and are now moving toward the promised land. That leaving of two million people is called the Exodus. And that's why the book is called the Exodus. We'll start at verse 33 here in just a moment. You know, this time of year is when all the graduations are happening. It's this Sunday that we honored our our graduates. And it got me thinking back to my high school graduation, which so sadly was 16 years ago, 1998. Um, I was struggling coming up the stairs earlier using the handrail, my legs are hurting, and I was reminded about how long ago high school graduation was. And uh, But I remember that, and it was, it was such a, a special moment, one that I don't think I will forget, when I, when I kind of gave a handshake or a hug to so many of my friends that, that I've never seen again since then. Now, many of my high school friends I, I keep in touch with, but, but so many I didn't. And in many ways... Graduating high school is a rite of passage in our culture. We don't have many things in our culture that are like a rite of passage that other cultures have. Maybe getting your driver's license at age 16 is one. Um, other than that, I think high school graduation is all we have in our culture. It, that, is, that is the big step from uh, childhood to, to adulthood, if there even is one uh, in the United States. It would have to be that. You know, you're, you're considered a kid until you graduate, and after you graduate, you, you better be doing something. Um, it's kind of the idea. And, um, and, and it's this time of year where we see that happening. And I want to, if you can, I want to get you to think about how big, uh, how, how big that is in that how many it is happening with. Fairdale High School tomorrow morning at Broadbent Arena will have their graduation. Fairdale High School tomorrow morning will see t- 232 students graduate. That's a lot. 232 students, John Robert being one of them, will walk across the stage tomorrow and receive their diploma and be a graduate. They will never, ever again go to JCPS. They will never, ever again go to school. 232 kids in Fairdale are done with school uh, as of Friday and officially as of tomorrow. 
I looked up JCPS. JCPS, as of this week, will graduate 5,529 kids. 5,529 kids will graduate from Jefferson County Public Schools this week. They'll be done with school forever. I looked up the worldwide, or not worldwide, nationwide. In the United States, there will be 3,219,207 graduates. That's a lot. Over 3 million high school graduates happening right now in the United States. Where are they going? What are they going to do? It's an exodus, if you will, is it not? It is a mass leaving. Over 3 million 17, 18, maybe 19 year olds are graduating from high school right here at this time of year. And, and where are they going? They are leaving one major area of life, right? You start school at age four or five with kindergarten, and for the next 12 to 13, 14 years, you are going through school, 180 school days a year. It seems to never get old. I thought this is funny. The boys ended up school last week, and already in the week that they've been out of school, Eli's asked me four different mornings, is summer break over? Is summer break over? And I'm not so sure if he's like hoping that it's not over or if he's already bored with summer break. But that's kind of how school is. It just weighs on you. I know it's coming, you know. I know this summer break's going to end and I'm going to go back to school. And, and, and so I want you to see that there are over three million kids leaving school. Where are they going? They are set free, if you will, from having to go to school. And for some kids, that's really sad. And for some kids, that is the best thing that's ever happened to them. They are finally done with school. But it's this leaving. It's a being set free. It's a moving on to something more, something better, if you will. Well, in the book of Exodus, we have the exodus of God's people. We have them in slavery. We have them uh, suffering. We have them under oppression, the Israelites. They didn't like it. It wasn't right. And God is going to set them free. They are going to leave. That's what we pick up with in Exodus 12, starting in verse 33. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls were bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. That's where I got that number of two million from when I spoke earlier. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. What a long, miserable slavery. 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. 
No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And that's the Exodus story. We started Exodus some time ago. And we knew that Joseph was this great leader of the people of Israel. You go back to the book of Genesis and we see how Joseph came into to leadership. But transition happens like in all nations. The Pharaoh before the leader of Egypt had made Joseph the greatest one. He was such a servant. He was so helpful. He was so skilled. The hand of God was upon him. But Exodus chapter 1 says that there came a new Pharaoh. And this Pharaoh did not know Joseph. And in that we saw the transition. Oppression started. And the people of Israel were oppressed in slavery. They were abused. They were taken advantage of. There was harsh circumstances on the people of Israel. And they they cried out to God. And God told them that He heard their cries and that in hearing their cries, God would set them free. They had the promise of God that He would deliver them, that He would set them free. And so God calls out Moses. And God tells Moses that he needs to go to Pharaoh, the king, and tell them to let my people go. You remember, Moses offered up all kinds of excuses. I can't do that. He's not going to listen to me. I'm not really good at speaking. What am I going to tell him? Why would he let us go? And Moses offers up all these excuses. God says, listen to me. Do what I tell you. I'm going to let you go. Well, that plays out over the course of ten plagues. As you know, the blood, frogs, gnats, flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. God brings those ten plagues upon Pharaoh because Pharaoh continues to harden his heart and say, no, I'm not going to let these people go. And so the book of Exodus, if you will, becomes this big confrontation between what God is telling his man Moses to do and Pharaoh resisting that. All the while, the people of Israel are stuck in the oppression, in the slavery in Egypt. This passage tells us that that is 430 years of that. 430 years that they are in Egypt. And then we come here to this passage where they're set free. It begins in verse 33 by saying, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. When it came time for them to be let go, they were indeed let go. It didn't take its time. They were gone. Get out of here. Hurry. Go. And they were going. In our passage today, I want to give you three simple points. The first is that God gives favor. The first is that God gives favor. The second is that God gives freedom. 
God gives freedom. And the last is that God gives instructions. God gives instructions. Favor from God, freedom from God, and instructions from God is what I want us to see today. The passage begins with the Egyptians being uh, forcing the people of Israel out, and they are going, and they said, for we shall all be dead. And here's why. The first nine plagues, as they were getting worse and worse and worse, and severe as they were, uh, attempts by God to show Pharaoh that he is God, and you must recognize God is God. I've said it every week, but I want to say it again, folks. There is no area in life at all no matter what country you're from, no matter how your parents raised you, where you cannot be surrendered to God. That is wrong. Fundamentally wrong. That is not right to be a human being to neglect God. God is God and He made us. And He loves us and He's good for us. And any type of life anywhere that does not say, God, you're God and I surrender to you is wrong. That is the height of arrogance. That is the height of rebellion, whether you see it as rebellion or not. It is still going against what ought to be done. God made us to worship Him. Now, the thing is, is that in our sins, we don't worship God. And we can't worship God until we come to know Christ. That's part of this process. Well, Pharaoh didn't know any of this. And so Pharaoh always resisted. And so God brought the plagues. And the first nine plagues, as harsh as they were... And as disruptive as they were to Egyptian life, didn't do the job. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then God warned on the last one, which was harsh. But God said that He would kill the firstborn son of every house. God didn't want to do that. But God was going to show Pharaoh that you cannot go against God. The reason why I know that God didn't want to do that is that even in doing that, God provided a way of escape. God provided the Passover. And that God said, if you don't want me to kill your son, then take a lamb and kill it and put the blood on the doorpost. And when I come and see the blood, I'll know that you believe me and you listen to me. And I'll pass over your house and you'll all be safe. You'll all be free. Folks, if there are people out there spreading the message of God, that God is mean and that God kills people and that God's just this mean, judgmental God, they're wrong. Now, there's not a person in your family that can't be forgiven of their sins. There's not a person in our community that is too far from God to be forgiven, right? There's not a single terrorist. There's not a single uh, runaway child. There's not a single bad attitude, high school dropout. There's not a single drug dealer. There's not a, there's not a single wife beater. There's not a single uh, divorced person. There's not a single uh, anybody in the world that cannot be forgiven by God. The Bible says that God is love. And the Bible says that you and I see the love that God is and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. God loves us. God is for us in Christ. The Bible says that that love is so strong that when Jesus was on the cross... God put our sins on Him. So it's not just this like distant, random work Jesus did to help us. It's that the whole package of the dying of Christ is what God did in His love for us to save us and make us right. And God tells us that if you and I sinners will look to that Christ on the cross with our sins, not His sins, Jesus didn't sin. But if we will look and believe that our sins are what killed Christ, God will forgive us of our sins. If you're here today and you have sinned in life, 
I'm telling you that the Bible says you can be forgiven. Jesus paid it all, we just sang. Our sins, though they were red like crimson, can be washed white as snow. Your heart can be made pure before God. Not in you purifying it, but in the blood of Jesus on the cross purifying it. But we must be a people who look to God, trust God, acknowledge God for who He is, believe in God, turn from ourselves, turn from our sins, and embrace the forgiveness of God that comes through Jesus. So, Pharaoh is still not listening. So God says, I'm going to come and kill the firstborn so that you will know that I am God. Now, he didn't do anything that harsh early. He did simple things like turn the river into blood. Pharaoh didn't listen. Pharaoh said, I don't care what you say. But once he did that, Pharaoh so knew that he was outmatched. He could not contend against God. That Pharaoh came and said, go, go, go. Look up just a few verses at verse 31. Sorry, verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, and be gone. In other words, get out of here. Go, 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 go. Your God is against me so much now that I am recognizing there's nothing I can do against Him. He is God. I am not. In in many ways, not totally, but in many ways, Pharaoh is now humbled by God. Get out of here. I am letting you go. God is delivering His people. And our passage begins today with the Egyptians saying, yes, go, because we don't want to die too. Does everybody see that? Verse 33 says, we shall all be dead. Now, I'm not saying at all that God is is here today saying, hey, listen to me, I'm going to kill you. But I am saying that your sins are killing you. I am saying that every one of us that sin will die because of our sins. Starting with me, the pastor. The wages of sin is death. Why else do you think your hair is turning gray and falling out My joints are aching even as I walk up the stairs. We're moving toward death. And listen, God will not rescue us from death apart from forgiveness through Jesus. There is only one mediator between you and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. You're going to die without Him if you don't turn to Him. And the Egyptians knew this. They were saying, we're going to die too if God's hand is upon us without forgiveness. It keeps going though, verse 34. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So they're leaving. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And that's my first point, that there is, there is favor with God. I want you all to hear today that, that it is possible to be in God's favor. It is possible for you to say, I'm, I'm God's. 
God loves me. I'm his child. It's possible for you to say, it's all good. God's got me. It's possible for you to say that nothing can separate me from the love of God. It's possible for you to know that nothing in this life at all, not even your worst sins, can condemn you as long as you are holding to the freedom that there is in Christ. There is such thing as favor. And we see that there is favor here with these people. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more, and I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Do you see that? Hey, th- this, this world is God's world, and this moving forward of history is God's moving it forward of history. And even though they had been in Egypt for 430 years, and Pharaoh was as hard-hearted as anybody you ever seen, if God says, I'm going to let my people go, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be let go. There's not a single power, there's not a single president, dictator, whatever, there's not a single Pharaoh who can say, no, I'm going to stop the plan of God. There is no stopping the plan of God. Whatever He does, He pleases. Whatever He pleases Him, the Lord does. And you see this here. Moses, I'm about to this time let you go. And when I let, and when, and when I let you go, you're going to be let go. So we're reading it here in chapter 12, verse 33. But keep going, verse 2 of chapter 11. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask. Every man of his neighbor and every woman of her, na- of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. God tells them to ask. Well, what do we see in chapter 12? They're giving it all to them. Now God is causing the people of, of Israel not only to be oppressed and not even with enough food or money like they were, but now they've got everything. They've got blessing, they've got gold, silver, they've got jewelry, and they've got freedom. God is giving these people favor. Look at verse 3. And the Lord gave the people favor... In the sight of the Egyptians. Now, God had turned their lives around. Remember earlier in Exodus, they were miserable. Their job was to make bricks all day long. That was their job. And the way they made bricks is by using straw. They made straw with mortar and they made it into bricks. And that's what they did all day long. But the people of Israel got so strong and become so successful that Pharaoh got mad and thought they were too happy. And so he says, you're going to keep making the same amount of bricks, but you're not even going to have straw now. You've got to go gather your own straw, come back here, and still produce the same amount of bricks, which is virtually impossible. And the people of Israel are like, what in the world? It's just getting worse out here. Where is God? God, when are you going to help us? God, please see our, see our situation and remember your covenant with us. God, remember what you promised us. Remember that we're the ones that are supposed to be in your favor. They cried out. But their situation with the Egyptians was awful. You get to chapter 11, what's it say? Now they've got favor with them. Now the Egyptians love them. Now the Egyptians are helping them. Now the Egyptians are giving them all their wealth and their possessions. Why? Because they were in the favor of God. They were in the favor of God. I want to ask you today, if you can say with confidence that you're in God's favor. I want to ask you if you know today that Christ is your Lord and Savior. I want to ask you if things like, My God shall supply all my needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 I want to ask you if you still remember Philippians 1.6 from 2013 that says, No, I am confident of this very thing. 
that the God who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, I may be a work in progress, but I'm a work in progress that God will complete. Do you have that type of favor with God? Are the eyes of the Lord upon you? Do you remember in Psalm 23, the the classic Psalm of David, where he says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack anything. So he knows he's in the favor of God. But in verse 4 he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So in other words, life's difficult at times. There is a shadow of death over me. And I'm walking through this valley that is the shadow of death. That's not good. But he ends verse 6 by saying, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? The favor of God is upon him. His circumstances weren't necessarily defining him, but the attention of God was upon him. And that indeed was enough. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul says, they want to kill me? And the Apostle Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why? Because the favor of God was all over him. If anyone is in Christ, they have the favor of God. The people of God had favor here. Do you have favor Verse 36 in our passage back to Exodus 12 says, And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. They were done with them. They took their things that they had given them, and they were gone. They were set free. If you're here today and you think, man, I don't think I've got favor with God. I think God's against me. I want to tell you how to have favor with God. If you would turn to God... And repent of your sins, believing that Jesus saves, you'll be forgiven. The favor of God is available. The attention of God is upon those who turn to Him. The Bible says that all who come to God, God will in no way cast out. But for those who won't, For whatever reason, it may be that you hate God, it may be that you think you're good and you just acknowledge God as being good, whatever. But if you will not come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, there will be no favor with God. Secondly, not only does God give favor, but God gives freedom. Look at verse 37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. Can you think of this? That's a lot of people. If you look back to Exodus chapter 1 real quick, it says in Exodus chapter 1 verse 5 that all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. 70. But over the course of those 400 years with a lot of multiplying and and, and having children and growing families, they had now grown to 600,000 men, not counting women and children. If there was a, a, a wife and there was one child, then you're getting close to 2 million there. That's where I got that number from. Could have been a little bit more, could have been a little bit less, but that's a lot of them. And they are now leaving. They are now being pushed out. God has now delivered them. They are being set free. But look at verse 8. Uh, sorry, verse 38. A mixed multitude. I love this. You know, the New Testament talks a lot about a mixed multitude. We need to hear a mixed multitude a whole lot more. In one, in one way, you might be thinking that the people of Israel in the Old Testament is just the people of Israel. 
a whole bunch of people that all looked just alike, were all part of the same family had grown. But here the Bible mentions that it was a mixed multitude. Where did the, where did the mixture come from? Where did the, the different types of people come from? I don't know. Maybe some sojourners had converted to be Jews. Maybe there had been some that had married outside of the Hebrews. Maybe there had been some other people who wanted to get in. Maybe some Egyptians had decided, man, Pharaoh ain't a good leader for us. We need y'all's God to be our God. There's a mixed multitude here. Folks, can I tell you that the real church of Christ is a mixed multitude? Can I tell you that right now, all over the planet, there are people doing the same thing that we're doing right now, perhaps singing those very same songs, but we wouldn't recognize it unless you heard the piano because it's in a different language. Can I encourage you all that right now, for the first time of his trip, Drew Dillman, a college student in our church, is in Ecuador right now on a Sunday morning at a church right this very moment, worshiping somewhere. And Drew doesn't understand any of this going on. We're praying for him to learn Spanish while he's there. But right now, in Spanish, in Ecuador, one of our First Baptist Fairdale people are there worshiping. It's a mixed multitude. And there isn't a single person down there, except for maybe Drew, whose skin is as white and regular as ours is, like we would call regular. God's people are a mixed multitude. I love it here that it says a mixed multitude. Do you remember in Galatians where it says, male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, anybody can believe in Christ? I want to ask you, do you realize that? I want to ask you, do you realize that it would be your pastor's greatest thrill if next Sunday we came in here and there were about 50 Africans filling up our pews? That it would do us so well for our congregation to become more of a mixed multitude? Do you realize that it would be awesome if all of a sudden uh, we had some people here that could preach in Spanish too? And so Spanish ministry, because there's Spanish speakers all around us, started being wanted to be a part of the church too and they were coming to Christ? Do you realize that in South Louisville right now, there are uh, Bosnians and Albanians all over the place here? You can't go to a single store and not run into some of them. Some of the nicest, kindest people you're ever going to meet. Maybe their accent's a little bit different. But do you realize that the mixed multitude of the people of God is absolutely for them? I'm not sure how they're raised. I'm not sure what their religion is. But if they would believe in Christ and be forgiven of their sins, absolutely they can become a people of God. Anybody can. This is almost almost puzzling because you were thinking it's got to be the children of Abraham that are being set free. But it says here a mixed multitude. Now, I'm going to get to it in a little bit. You heard me read it on the institution of the Passover, starting there at verse 43. It says no foreigner. It says no sojourner. You heard me say that. That's not meaning that they're not allowed to. That's what the instructions part. Nobody's allowed to unless you do it God's way. And the same it is for us. I don't care if you're born and raised in Fairdale. 60 years. If you won't submit to the Word of God, repent of your sins and believe in Christ, you can't be a member of the church. There's a right way to do things. God gives instructions. That's what we're going to get to in a second. And so it is with the mixed multitude. It's fascinating. Look at verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. 
And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. I want to stop there for just a second. And I had forgotten about this. If you're able, turn back to Genesis 15. You know, Genesis is the book before Exodus. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And, and this all started when God called Abram. God's creating a people and saving them really started when God called Abram. And I want to show you what God said to Abram. Now, Abram is Abraham before God changed his name to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, listen to verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Y'all, that's the 430 years just rounded to a number several years before. Look at verse 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. I had forgotten about that. God's promise to Abram is exactly what God did through Moses, rescuing them from Pharaoh. He gave them the possessions. It had been 400 years. 430 is exactly what Exodus says. And God sets them free. This was the very promise that God gave to Abram. If you're a little bit unsettled about the future, the near future or the distant future, I encourage you to trust the one who will not let you down. One of the things I love to say at every funeral is I shift away from honoring the one in the casket. And I just speak to the, the congregation for a second. I say, you're here today. Death's before us. I want to tell you something. What's going to comfort you when you die? Now, we go to a funeral to honor the deceased. But we can't miss the opportunity to just say, hey, when you die, when you're laying there, what are you going to find comfort in? And I honestly can't think of anything except for that God would accept me because of Christ. There is not a comfort at death. Now, there are some other comforts, worldly and temporary, in the world. But after this, there's nothing. What are you going to be comforted by if not God? And I'm telling you that God keeps His promises. He told Abram, 400 years, I will set you free. Your people will move forward and they'll have possessions. Here we are reading sometime later in the book of Exodus, and that's what we see. Praise God. Now, you don't have to turn there. But in the book of Acts, when that happens with Stephen, when Stephen is, is put on trial right before he is stoned, listen to what he says in verse 6. And God spoke to this effect. That his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and inflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve. Stephen knows what happened in Genesis and Exodus too. And Stephen saw 
in the face of persecution where they're about to kill Stephen, Stephen saw that if God was faithful to Abraham and to the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt in the Exodus, if God kept His promise there, then when they're about to kill me right now, I'm not going to worry about them killing me. I'm going to worry about being faithful and loving to the God who keeps His promises because when I die, He'll keep His promise to take me to heaven forever with Him. And church, that's who we are. We are a people who say, God gives life, God gives hope, God gives favor, and that God gives freedom. And my freedom, listen, is not wrapped up in if the world gives me freedom, if my family gives me freedom, if society gives me freedom. Our freedom is wrapped up in Christ. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, You're not my disciples. For if you were my disciples, you would follow me. Those that follow me are the ones who abide in my word. If you were really my followers, you would be abiding in my word. And then he says, You would know the truth, which is his word. And the truth will set you free. Jesus uses that word, freedom. He used the word free. You'll be set free by the truth. Just a few verses later in verse 36 of John chapter 8, he says, If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Hey, it doesn't matter how strong Egypt and Pharaoh are. If God sets them free, they are free indeed. I want to ask you here today, is the world and the pressures of the world too much for you to handle? Are relationships and stresses too much for you? Do you feel like you're in chains? Is life too hard? Are the burdens too heavy? Are you hiding who you really are? You're not able to be who you really want to be? In other words, are you lacking freedom? Let me assure you that in Christ there is freedom. Would you believe on Him and turn from your sins? Like we see these people being set free. Look at verse 41. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? God stood there watching to make sure they were free. It was a night of watching by the Lord. Is there encouragement for you all today to think, oh no, God has His eye on us. You know, the Bible says that Satan roams around right now like a roaring lion seeking to devour whoever he will. You think Satan doesn't know that there are about to be 3,219,207 high school graduates graduating right now? You think Satan doesn't know that? You think Satan's ready to pounce on them and teach them to abandon anything they've ever loved and to destroy their lives? Satan knows. Is it a comfort to you? Is it a comfort to Chelsea Pomeroy and John Robert Masterson to know that, yes, while Satan is aware of that, God is watching them for their freedom? That God is governing them over them, protecting them in their safety? Yes. That's why we read the Bible. And in the same way that God was to His people there, He is that way to us even greater in Christ. All of God's promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And so we trust that. Verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. 
the exodus. God gives favor, God gives freedom, and then lastly, God gives instructions. Verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. That's interesting, right? They've been set free. Now they're on their own. They're now traveling. This big two million people nation is now traveling to the promised land. And God is setting up for them. He's about to even set up even more as we keep going through Exodus as He institutes the law. We don't even have the law yet, but we've got the Passover. And God is saying to them, the instructions, here's how I want you to be. So as they start going, He says, here's the Passover. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, what's the Passover? Then I'm going to assume you weren't here last week, and that's okay. The beginning of chapter 12 is the Passover. The Passover is what I explained earlier about where God said He's going to bring the tenth plague, the harshest plague. He's going to kill the firstborn child and the firstborn uh, cattle uh, and, and, kill, and kill them as a punishment for them to know that He is God. But, if anybody doesn't want that, they would believe God. They could sacrifice the lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost, and God would pass over them and not deal with them. God would save them, if you will. God would be merciful to them. And so what God wants His people to do now is to every year celebrate the Passover. And so now He's giving them instructions on how to do this. Verse 43 says, No foreigner shall eat of it. Now, as I said earlier, mentioning it, what this is saying is not necessarily that nobody else is able to eat of it. It's that nobody's able to eat of it unless you're a people of God. Now, if you're a foreigner that says, I'm not a people of God, then you're not able to. But if you are becoming a child of God through getting into that mixed multitude as we've talked about, then you are able to. Let's keep going. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. See, you don't eat it unless you've been circumcised. In other words, identify yourself as a people of God. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. Look at verse 46, talking about the Passover lamb. You shall not break any of its bones. That sound familiar to you? God is telling them that each year as you celebrate the Passover, you're to take a lamb, sacrifice it. But you're not to break any of its bones. Folks, the sacrificial lamb is not to have broken bones. Let me read to you, and that's just the way God designed it. Let me read to you from John chapter 19. See if you remember this passage. This is right after Jesus was killed. Listen. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross. You remember three people died on the cross. On the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The Romans would come and kill their legs on the cross. I mean, sorry, break their legs on the cross. So they said, let's do that. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first criminal and of the other who had been crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones 
will be broken. Folks, I want you to see that in the exodus of God rescuing His people, it is a picture for us of what God can and does do in the life of somebody who would trust in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, God gives you favor, God gives you freedom, and God gives you instructions. Just like God has given them instructions on how to keep the Passover year after year, God has given us instructions on what it means to be a believer. Y'all, being a follower of Christ is not a free-for-all that you let your heart decide on what's right and what's wrong. No, God has given us a word that we are to follow. Let's keep going here. Verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger, now here we go, here's the mixed multitude, here's the stranger coming in, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males must be circumcised. In other words, anybody can be a part of the people of God. They just got to be a part of the people of God according to God's standard. It's not my standard. Listen to me. That's not a Baptist church standard or a, or a Christian church standard. It's God's standard. And any church is only a church to the extent that they go by God's standard. Can we hear that? Can we be a people of God's Word? Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. Does everybody see that? The stranger who was not a native of the land can be like a native of the land if he acts according to the Word of God. If he believes in the instructions of God. Amen for that. May it be your testimony. I didn't used to be like a people of God. But now I am. Because of what Christ has done in my life. Verse 49, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Verse 50, all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. They were set free. Folks, if anybody would come to God, turning from their sins, acknowledging that they need a Savior, Looking to God's answer for what must I do to be saved? That's a real question you may be asking today. But the answer is only found in what God would say. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of us or anybody else's way. It's not even of a particular church's way. It is of Jesus' way. And that is that you would repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus today, I ask you, why not? Why would you remain unforgiven? Why would you remain out of favor with God when you can turn to Him? In Christ, there is favor from God, freedom from God, and instructions from God, even as we see God's people set free. They were in slavery for so long, in Egypt for 430 years, and now we see them moving out. God has done what God had said He would do, and God's people reap the benefit of it. I'll close with this. This week, I was reading a testimony that I saw online of a girl who didn't have a mom because her mom was a crack addict. She was never allowed to be with her mom. She didn't have a dad because she never knew her dad because, as she said, her mom got pregnant through a one-night stand. Her life was set up to be a failure. 
But this week, with all the rest of the graduates, she was about to graduate from college with a bachelor's degree. You know what she said? She said, God has given me, through Jesus, the power to live life the way God would have me to live it. I loved the testimony. In so many ways, she had excuses. And in so many ways, she could have fallen into all the statistics of those who didn't have a dad, didn't have a mom, and therefore they're a failure. They turn out to be a problem. But her testimony was that in Jesus Christ, as one who trusts in Him for the forgiveness of sins, for, for life, God is now using me We see this with the people of Exodus. And it can be the case for you too. May God give you favor, set you free, and may you follow Him according to His Word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the Exodus passage. Thank you, God, that you have done what you said you would do and you've set the people free. And thank you, God, that that in so many ways applies to us. God, we trust you. We ask now, Father, that you would move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.